0: Hello, that's Sarah. That's Emily. And this is Lightweight True True Crime. Crime. This is the podcast where two girls share a drink and a story. Our favorite thing. Your drink yet, so I haven't yet. Have you? I haven't. Um, I've got these. Gonna, what are
1: these straws made of? They're bamboo
0: straws. Ooh. We don't kill turtles here, so oh
1: dear, that is delightful.
0: That's good. It's like That's really good. So, what this is is it is Smirnoff ice, strawberry flavored, mm. mixed, blended with strawberries, mangoes, pineapple.
1: And is that in like a Nutribullet that you have? It's a exactly. good blender. It is. This is like Chili's margarita level blended. Chili's margarita. Listen, I've been known to frequent Chili's for their $5 margarita happy hour yeah. because they do a damn fine uh, blended marg. And this is like that restaurant quality blend. Yes. It's not like chunky. It's like perfect, the perfect consistency. And it's
0: because there's no ice in it. Like sometimes, some places you put like ice in smoothies and stuff and you get like all the crunchy stuff, but this is pretty good. I can't taste the alcohol.
1: I can. My spidey senses, but I'm into it.
0: Yeah. Ooh,
1: thanks, Rye. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. This is like we're on a tropical beach somewhere. I know. Even though it's like 60 degrees out. Oh, California is hard. It's cold. Actually, I was kind of chilly when I left the library today and it was only like 72. I was like, my God.
0: We went on an evening walk and I brought out my puffy jacket.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am going to, or I'm going to try and go visit my brother in Minnesota. (gasps) Oh, that's cold. In the new year. And I'm remembering that the last time I went to Minnesota in the winter, I had to borrow my sister-in-law's clothes because I don't own jackets
0: warm enough Mm -mm. for that. You got to get like the long ones that go to your like knees or longer.
1: It was the kind of cold because the last time I went was like three or four years ago and it was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. So it was January and it was the kind of cold that when you went outside, you felt your nose hairs freeze. (sighs) It was trippy. That's really cold. And then I came back to California and it was literally like a 70 degree difference from where, yeah. from like in just traveling anyway, la, 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 that's, nuts. that's neither here nor there. Crazy. Um, Emily, are you going to tell us a story first this week? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, hit me All with right. it while
0: I sip this so, tropical goodness. This story, I got a lot of this information from the criminal podcast. Phoebe Judge. There's, yes. I love Phoebe Judge. She's lovely. There's two episodes. Um, one is called Melinda and Judy. The other one is called Melinda and Clarence. Um, and TLC's new special called "Taken at Birth." Um, I think so I know. I think I know what you're talking is, about. This um, is Dr. Hicks and the Hicks Babies. I think I might know this one, but I am okay. so excited to hear it. So in like the mid 1940s. Oh
1: okay. <laughs> Keep going. Okay.
0: Yeah. Dr. Thomas Hicks opened his clinic in McKaysville, Georgia. It was like a tiny mining town. The mines were all kind of being closed. So it was just a bunch of people there who used to be miners and now they're not. And he was like one of the only doctors in the area. And he became widely known for doing illegal abortions. So like women from all over the South who needed abortions would come to him. Um, but once his son and his son's wife found out that they couldn't have kids, he was like, you know what? Maybe I'll like convince these moms to give up their kids for adoption instead of abortions. And so he started like telling the moms like, hey, my son really needs a baby. Will you give me your child to give to <laughs> my son instead? Will you give me your baby? <laughs> yeah. And the moms are like, yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? And then the son and his wife were like, we don't want one of those babies. Like, we don't want an illegal baby. (laughs) So he was like, okay, I got to, like, figure out what to do. And so he started selling these babies. So
1: he started convincing women who wanted abortions to carry their babies to term to
0: sell. So, a lot of these moms were coming to him like pretty far into their pregnancy. Oh, okay. One lady was 37 weeks pregnant. Oh my goodness. And came to have an abortion. Wow. Like, I gave birth at 39 weeks. Yeah. That's yeah. two weeks away. Yeah. So, like, they would come up and he'd be like, instead of doing an abortion, let's just induce labor. So, Anyways, back to the kinds of people who would take these babies. So the um, adoption requirements, my computer just went black.
1: That is no bueno. Yep. You okay, it's this. back. You got this. So the
0: adoption re- requirements at the time were like super strict. You had to like have no debt. You had to own your house. You couldn't wow. have ever been divorced before. No millennial could ever adopt. Nope. If those were still yep. the rules. Because it's impossible to own a house now. And so like you'd be put on this list for Dr. Hicks and he would call you and be like, okay, you got to be here in 12 hours and bring a $1,000 with you. And so these couples would come. Most of them wouldn't even step foot in the clinic. They'd meet either Dr. Hicks or a nurse in the alley. Oh, my gosh. And hand them $1,000 in cash. Oh, my gosh. And in exchange, they'd get a, doc- uh, a doctor. They'd get a baby. <laughs> a baby doctor. And a, <laughs> a baby doctor. And a fake birth certificate that said that they were the actual parents. Oh,
1: my gosh. And so. So there was no, like, illusion that this was on the up and up. Yeah, this nope. was like, no, we all know that this is Yeah, bad. this is sketchy. Oh, my gosh.
0: But. Like, these couples who couldn't have babies didn't have any other way of having a baby. Wow. So, they were, like, super desperate. And um, so, he did a bunch of the, this kind of thing. But a lot of people were like, you know what? He's a He's a good guy. He's doing good things. He's, you know, even though it's illegal, he's saving these babies from being aborted. And he's giving these couples who couldn't have a baby a baby. It's a win-win, right? But then in 1997, a group of these kids kind of all found each other. So... They're like in their 50s now, the Hicks babies in 1997, and they all kind of found each other and started like researching, trying to find their birth families, and then realized that Dr. Hicks had sold more than 200 babies. Oh my gosh. To the Akron area alone. So Akron, oh Ohio. Oh my gosh. So maybe so he even was based more. in Georgia. He was based in and Georgia. And he sold that
1: many just to the Ohio yeah. area.
0: And at one point they said Akron to McKaysville is an eight hour drive. And somewhere else they said 12 hours. So either way, it's a far drive yeah. to get a baby. Whoa. And so um, he, he did all this. He sold all these babies between 1950 and 1964. And so in 1964, he stopped only because he surrendered his medical license to avoid criminal prosecution for performing illegal abortions. Okay.
1: Not the whole selling babies thing.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. People who knew that didn't see it as a problem because they were like, he's saving these babies lives. He's not aborting them. Wow. Um, And so because the birth certificates were like fake and said that their adoptive parents were their birth parents, it was like near impossible for these Hicks babies to try and find their birth families. I wonder if they
1: even like kept records no. of, of like you know like yeah. If you have a fake birth certificate and that was the doctor delivering the baby, he's not going to make the real birth certificate. Right. So it's exactly. not like there's a paper trail. Yeah.
0: And in the um the TLC show, it's like three episodes. One of them, they're like, there's this rumor that in like the family mausoleum is a bunch of documents. His and family mausoleum. Yeah.
1: Oh my and gosh.
0: They're like. There has to be something in there because nobody's buried in the mausoleum. It's empty. He's buried next to it. Weird. And his whole family is buried next to it. But they open it up and there's nothing in there. Bummer. I know. Cause so, like I
1: feel like the only way that you'd have a paper trail is if like some nurse didn't want to get busted for yeah. helping him and had it as like an insurance policy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But they haven't
0: found any records of anything, so that I is don't know. crazy town. Anyways, so the youngest known Hicks baby, her name is Jane Blasio. And she's the one who partnered with, um, it's TLC's show called Long Lost Family. I love that show. Yeah. So Chris Jacobs and Lisa Joyner host that show. And they teamed up with um, Jane Blasio to try and like help match these Hicks babies with some of their birth families. Um, And so they started like taking their DNA and using some programs like ancestry they were able to track down some like second and third cousins of people but they were like we really want to like figure out who these parents are like who are the kinds of people who would like let a doctor sell their baby um and so they started like doing more research getting a lot of these fake birth certificates to try and figure things out um and they started realizing that a lot of the babies were born under five pounds which means they were born at like 31 weeks gestation.
1: Oh my gosh. So he was inducing them like before they were healthy enough. Exactly.
0: So either he was inducing labor like dangerously early or he was telling the moms that he was performing abortions. Oh my gosh. And would just take the baby <gasps> and sell it.
1: So, oh my, okay. And I'm thinking about this. So these women aren't getting this money. It's he's pocketing. Yep. Yep whoa yeah whoa
0: one lady who went to have an abortion at 37 weeks and he convinced her to give the baby up instead um after the like recovery period was over she left after a couple days and he gave her 20 dollars and said go buy yourself a pretty dress and that was it that's all she got he
1: sounds really nice
0: yeah yeah he sounds like he respects women totally Mm -hmm. totally and so They also found a lot of moms who were told by Dr. Hicks that their babies were stillborn. Oh my, like moms who wanted their babies? (gasps) Oh my gosh, stop it. And so when that happened, like when he would tell the moms that their babies were stillborn, he'd be like, don't worry about like, I'll (gasps) go bury the baby in like an unmarked grave. So you don't even have to worry about it. So these moms never even saw their babies. Oh my gosh gosh there was one woman who even was like no i heard her i heard (gasps) her crying oh
1: my gosh oh my gosh and dr
0: hicks was like no you're just hallucinating sometimes labor can (gasps) like do that to you
1: he's a sociopath
0: yep so he was like taking babies that were wanted and selling them to people for money
1: my gosh
0: and so the theory is that he would like if a mom came in who was either single or too young or too poor in his eyes, he would kind of make that decision of like mm, this baby is better off with a family than. You a what's really young crazy mom. is
1: I didn't know this story, and legit Phoebe Judge has um, another criminal episode about stolen babies that is not this really? story. <laughs> um,
0: but this That's is funny, horrifying. Yeah, so. Um, I'm going to tell you about one of these babies, but obviously there's like a lot more than 200. But this one guy I'm like obsessed with that they focus on in this TLC episode. He's so cute. He's like sixties and he's from Georgia. So he has this like total Southern accent and it's just adorable. And so um, this is one of the moms who was told that her baby was stillborn, And so, um, his name is S- Steven Dilbeck. He was adopted into this family. And I say adopted in air quotes because like, right. They always made it very clear that he was adopted and like his siblings and his cousins always made it very clear that he was unwanted. Oh, and so he grew nice up of them. like really not in a really not great family, like always feeling like he wasn't wanted. Um, And he would, like, ask about his birth family and nobody would ever really tell him anything. Somehow he found out that he was a Hicks baby and so he, like, kind of tried to, like, look into that. But, you know, before, like, the 90s, there was, like, no information anywhere and his birth certificate was fake. So it was really hard to, like, find stuff. And so when um, this TLC special came out, they, like, really wanted to help him find his family, especially since he's he was like the first known baby that was stolen just based on like his age. Cause like, he's the oldest of all of them. So they were like, he must've been the first baby that was sold. Wow. And so they like go through a bunch of records and find a list of people that he like could have had been connected to. Like, I don't know how they came up with this list, but, um, Lisa Joyner like calls everybody on this list of people. And finally, like, what they're doing is they're just asking people, like, did you know a Dr. Hicks? And finally, one lady was like, oh, yeah, my aunt had her twins at the Hicks Clinic. And they were like, okay, can we meet with you? And she was like, yeah, I'll get my cousin, too, who's the daughter of my aunt. Oh. And so they met up with them. And the cousin, so the daughter of the mom who had her twins at the Hicks Clinic, her name is Kathy, she tells this story about how her mom went to the Hicks clinic to give birth and she had twin boys and Dr. Hicks told her that they were both stillborn. Oh my God. And she like Kathy was younger than the boys. So she wasn't born yet, but like her mom always grew up telling her like you had two brothers, but they didn't make it. And so like Kathy like grew up thinking that like I had brothers who died. Oh my God. And So um, Lisa and Jane are like, you know what? Like, you might be related to him. Would you want to do DNA? And she was like, absolutely. So they do DNA tests and they're siblings. Oh
1: my gosh.
0: And so they Was her mom still alive? No. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so her mom had passed away a while back and they met up. So Kathy and Steven met up and it was the cutest thing in the whole world. I was totally crying because they like went to this park and they had Steven sit at this picnic table and then they had Kathy like walk up to him and they walk up and he just says, Hey sis. And she just,
1: I can't, I cannot. They both start crying
0: and she says, I love you. And he's like, I love you too. And they're like, it feels like we've known each other forever. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, she thought that she had this brother that died, but he was still alive and they got to meet and she, but was he a twin? So, oh my gosh. He is a twin. They haven't found the other twin yet. Okay. So they... he, the, Whoever the other twin is... Intrigue, is, yeah. dude. That's right. bananas. So it's this crazy story of <gasps> wow. these two siblings who have found each other and they go and visit their mom's grave oh and he gosh. takes this oh time gosh. to like talk to his mom and tell her that he loved her and like it's just so sad and heartwarming at the same time because oh it's gosh. like... So the theory is, is that... Um, they're not completely sure, but they think that the mom, her name was Beulah, was single at the time when she went to go give birth and Dr. Hicks was like, you know what? You're single, you're young, it's the fifties. Yeah. You can't take care you of a can't baby. You can't do this anyway. And so he made that decision to take her babies away from her. Wow. And in doing that, sh- he almost like ruined lives. Right. Oh, like, uh, yeah, obviously they their lives were not completely ruined, but he took this huge from them of he took their mom away he took her kids away and like caused her to like
1: grieve these boys right. for her entire life like exactly. went to her grave yeah. grieving those babies grieving them. yeah oh
0: yeah. my goodness so they have they didn't find the other twin not all of the families have been able to find their families because a lot of the things like um ancestry that you kn- the other family would have had to submit their DNA. So if right. they haven't, right. like they haven't had any matches yet. Um, But this TLC show did help a lot of people find their biological families, oh which is gosh. so cool. And I would encourage you to watch it. You can watch it online. It's like eight hours. There's like three episodes oh and they're each goodness. super long, but it's so good. Oh my gosh. And that's the story of the Hicks babies. So just like brushing the surface. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Can I tell you a long lost uh, family? What this actually has to do, Ryan was laughing. Um, it actually has to do with a TV show and it connects uh-huh. to my own story. Yeah. So when I discovered that show, like I don't know if it was like, the, I don't know if I discovered it at the time it came out or if like I just found it and was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. Um, That's
0: the show that you... No- <laughs>
1: No, no. Okay. So, um, I was home from college for something. I I, like, it might've been a spring break or like, I don't know, maybe like spring or, or summer after my freshman year of college. And I got super into that show and just like watched episodes upon episodes and, um, I have this memory of like my mom walking through our living room with some laundry and like me watching the show and me like jokingly being like, mom, do I have any siblings I don't know about? And my mom being like, no, ha <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, what I didn't know at that time, because I was not saying that seriously. Yeah. Um, my mother went out to. My dad works at home. His home office is like detached from our house. And my mom like went out to the office and was like, "Alan, you are not going to believe what your daughter just said to me," um, because my parents were actually in the process of looking for my father's biological son, who um, he and his high school girlfriend had in high in high school, and um, gave up for adoption because they couldn't give him the life that he deserved. And so, just the fact that like I joked about that. Number one, that I was super into that show, which obviously I didn't know, but I'm like, this must be so weird for my dad because he was like, I do have this long lost child. And so I'm talking about it all the time and I'm super into it. And then I'm like, do I have a sibling? And, And so it was I don't remember like when that conversation happened, but it was within a year that yeah. my parents found my father's son um and like made contact with him and told my sister and I about him. So now that show is just like next level for me yeah. because I'm like been there, done that, yep. had that first weird meeting, like had all those feels. And it's funny because when my dad watches that show, he always texts my brother and is always like, "We did this all wrong." <laughs> Because when they first met, they met up at a restaurant, um, in like near a mall and in the, in the state where my brother lives and um, they were both so nervous, you know, and he, my dad's like watching this show where it's just like, I love you. Da, da, da. My guess is that the nervous meetings are actually a little more uh-huh. common yeah. than we think. But my brother was so nervous. Mm, sorry, Paul, if you're listening, Um, my brother was so nervous. Like when the waiter came to take their orders, my dad ordered and Paul was like, nah, I'm good because he was like, I didn't know how long I was going to stay. And he wound up staying mm, for like several yeah. hours, but like, just that first, like, yeah. Other than, other than his cha- his daughter who was alive at that time, he had never met like a blood relative. Yeah. So he was, and also like he met my dad, who is like his carbon copy. Yeah. Um. So yeah,
0: thanks, long lost family. On TLC. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had heard that story, but I didn't know that it was long lost family that you were watching that at the is time. The That's thing so I was watching, funny. and
1: I was super into it, and to this day, I tell my parents if you have any other children out there i feel like can we just get this over with can right. we just rip these band-aids off if there are other ones i feel like it would have been a missed opportunity to tell me about them at the time you were telling me about my brother right we yeah. should like let's just put all the cards on the table you know
0: just every few years we're gonna tell you of
1: the <laughs> other kids we have and it, it's funny because i've done not ancestry but 23 me, mm-hmm. and um my dad has also done it and I got like an email. I was like, you have a really strong familial match and it's like father, 50% yeah. of your DNA. Um, yeah, like, yep, that's my dad. But they like, they send you before you send it in, you have to like sign this waiver. That's like, you might find out some stuff you yeah. want to know. And so unless you're like prepared, yeah, like don't do this. We talked about this. You've done sunscreen, yeah. yeah. But Ryan hasn't, right? Correct. Right. But you and I are just like, you and you and I have results that come back, like apply sunscreen. Yeah. Li- liberally. Exactly, that's really funny. Ooh, Hicks babies. It's that's nuts. crazy town. And like, right pre-internet, like without a paper trail, like it's a miracle that they even found right those people to connect with I each know. other. Wowza. Ooh, man, I got to slow down on this drink. I need to speed up. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this? I think but so. Okay, um, I'm sure you know this story. Because it was a we'll big see. deal, so um, this is the story of. It's around the same era of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. Okay, this contributed to my paralyzing anxiety mm-hmm. as that began as a small child, um, and it was because of the Ashley Pond Miranda Ga- Gaddis, and then this story being everywhere on the news that my mother first dropped me off at a therapist's office and this child psychologist tried to like play with me in a sandbox. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything just because we're playing in the sand. Yeah. I'm too old for this. You're like 11. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. It's fine. I would find a therapist later that I actually liked. Yeah. And also like, God bless my mom for trying. Cause I needed help. Yeah. Okay. This is the story of Elizabeth smart. Yes. Ah, yes.
0: Okay. So.
1: No, oh, maybe Ryan doesn't know it. Of course, Ryan doesn't know yeah, it. Yeah, that's true.
0: Ryan hates this stuff. <laughs> I love you. God
1: bless him. Okay, so before June of 2002, the Smart family led what many would consider an idyllic life in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, in 2002, so like I said, 2002, uh, Elizabeth was 14 years old, and she was the second oldest child out of the Smart's uh, six children. She loved music and she played the harp. Um, Mary Catherine was the only other daughter in the family, so there were two girls and four boys. And Mary Catherine and Elizabeth both loved music um, and like shared a lot of things, being the only two girls. And they also shared a bedroom. So on June fifth, two thousand two, after Elizabeth and her parents attended an award ceremony at her middle school, Elizabeth was like super smart and talented. All the awards, same blah blah blah. Uh, The family returned home and got ready for bed. The dad, Ed, locked all the doors but didn't set the alarm um, as they didn't turn it on when everyone was home Mm -hmm. because it was that type of alarm that was like you couldn't like walk around freely in the house without setting it off. What? um, Because it was like a motion detector. For inside? For inside. And so if like the kids got up, I think it was one of those things like if you went downstairs or something like, I, I don't know. It was just they had, it was some type of alarm where like if the kids got up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, it would go off. off. So like they locked the doors and all of them were there. So they didn't Interesting. set the alarm. Okay. Um, I many a morning in my childhood, cause we had an alarm at my childhood home and it was a type of alarm where if you opened um, any of the front doors, but then also our or kitchen door that goes to our like front entryway, it would set off. And my mom gets up super early and I woke up so many mornings in my childhood to hearing the alarm go like the authorities have been called. And my mom going, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because like (laughs) she had opened the kitchen door. So I get that. I get being like, Are you serious? Please turn it off. Um so they go to bed while the door is locked. And it's around one AM when a man broke into Elizabeth in Mary Catherine's bedroom and threatened Elizabeth with a knife. He put his hand on her chest and then the knife up to her neck, telling her that if she didn't get up quietly, then he would kill her and her family. So Mary Catherine, Elizabeth's sister like heard this whole interaction, but she's like, I don't know if I said how old but she was. I think she's like 11 or something. Uh And she's absolutely petrified as I'm 28 and I and would, be, would, would be, would be hundred percent. Um, so, but in her like terror, she pretends to be asleep, which like no shame there because Absolutely. good Lord. And like, she was so afraid that she laid in bed until 4am. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and like,
0: I'm sorry, did you say what time he broke the, in around one? Okay. And there are some,
1: like, I couldn't get like, I wasn't sure what was true because there were some reports that said that like he threatened her. And so that's why she laid in bed. Um, Or she was just so scared. Or, like, she did initially get up, but then, like, crossed paths with them leaving, and that, like, freaked her out. So, regardless, she's a small child who is super scared. Um, So, just before 4 a.m., she goes to get their parents and says that Elizabeth is gone. And at first, like, her parents think she's having a bad dream. You know, like, that's not, you're not going to think that that's what happened right away. Um, But Ed, the dad, gets up, and he goes room to room, and he doesn't find Elizabeth. He's quoted as saying, the moment of sheer panic was when the screen, when Lois saw that the screen was kind of the defining moment when you know Elizabeth isn't there because he sliced open the screen with a knife. Um, Doesn't you know how easy those things are to take off? I also like, I don't know. I feel like maybe she was, in my mind, kids' bedrooms are second story, but I actually don't know that. Um, and he says, you you know, maybe someone has really taken her after he saw yeah. that. So according to uh, Lois and Ed, the parents, Mary Catherine thought that the kidnapper's voice seemed somehow familiar, but she couldn't quite pinpoint like when she had heard it. And so at 4.01 a.m., the smarts call the police and a full on search goes into effect. So after Elizabeth is taken out of her home, uh, several, uh, because there's like a three hour window here, right. That they yeah. have a head start. Um, her abductor forces her to walk to a camp in the woods that is only actually three miles behind her house. And there's like this lean to like this shack in the woods that he's taking uh. her to. And there is a woman there who identifies herself as this man's wife. Um, It's here that the woman tries to force Elizabeth to bathe, but Elizabeth is like, nah, no thanks, (laughs) like
0: hard pass. And she's 14. She's 14. So she's full of sass and no one can tell her when to (laughs) Right, even when
1: abducted. Um, And so eventually the woman washes Elizabeth's feet and tells her to change into a robe that was in the lean-to, saying that if she doesn't listen to her, that she'll have the man come rip her pajamas off. And so she better do it herself. So Elizabeth complies and the man comes in and performs this bizarre like religious ceremony, which he now says made like makes Elizabeth his wife. And then he sexually assaults her for the first time. So the next day, June six, two 2002, Ed and Lois smart go on television and plead for the kidnapper to return Elizabeth because like they're fairly well off. Yeah. So they're guessing that there's like a ransom um, demand that's going to come through and a massive search effort goes underway, which involved up to 2,000 volunteers a day. There were no fingerprints or DNA left at the scene, but police interview hundreds of potential suspects as the search goes on. So Elizabeth is, like, the search is happening, um, and Elizabeth is kept at this camp in the woods, which I have a lot of questions and didn't see anything about, like, yeah, I guess like three miles into the woods is a, like, it's a long distance, yeah. but I don't... I didn't read anything about how this camp wasn't discovered. Yeah. Like it sounds like everything that could have been done was done. So
0: I like, I feel like the woods is the first place you search. Right. That The
1: woods behind the house is going to be the first place that yeah. you search. So it must've just been in this like perfect location Yeah, because like all of Utah is looking for this little girl. Yeah. And, and there wasn't that much of a delay. Like, this is a blonde, wealthy, white girl. Like, this is... Everybody's,
0: everybody's looking. Everybody's
1: looking. It's all over the media. Like, I remember, like, watching this news story and being like, Mom and Dad, sleeping on your floor. Um, especially because this was... This wasn't even, like, Ashley Pond and Miranda Gattis where they're walking to the school bus. Yeah. This was it's in the night a man came to take her.
0: Oh, my God. I still have nightmares. I, I still, in the middle of the night, if I hear a noise, think somebody's climbing in our window.
1: Yeah. It's, um... I, yeah, I remember because like we, I grew up out in the country and I remember thinking like, I don't think our neighbors would hear me yelling. Like, yeah, I could totally. I think that
0: here and we're
1: like <laughs> three feet from our neighbors. I'm starting to think like 2002, I was 11. Yeah. So I was only three years younger than, um, yeah. yeah, than Elizabeth. So I could totally like picture myself as her. So she is kept at this camp in the woods and she is tied up to a tree with like a her legs are tied to a tree with this like enormous cable and she's like routinely sexually assaulted. Um, And the man who kidnapped her says that she is one of the many virgin brides he plans to kidnap to help him fight the Antichrist. Yep. So that's
0: yeah, that's how we're going to get the Antichrist. That is
1: how that works. So months go by. And the police are no closer to finding Elizabeth. In August, so she's kidnapped in June, um, just the man decides that he wants to leave Salt Lake City with his two quote-unquote wives and takes Elizabeth with him to the Salt Lake City Public Library to do research.
0: And yeah. is that near their house? Like, would that have been like uh, the smarts? I
1: don't know, but Library? it's in the same city, yeah. right? But he, they also, they go and they're like, weird robes, right? Oh so they're not like in street clothes. Yeah. So this raised red flags with people in the library because of the robes Elizabeth and this man were wearing and the veil that's covering most of Elizabeth's face. Oh. So the police arrive, um, but the abductor is talking about how like it's against his religion for like women to speak in public, and so it's not fair of them to ask her to speak. And uh, he, like, I guess they're, like, sitting at an interview table when the police get there, and he grips her legs under the table so that she doesn't say anything to them. And eventually, they let them leave. (gasps) She later recalled the incident. I felt like Hope was walking out the door. I was mad at myself that I didn't say anything, mad at myself for not taking the chance. So close. I felt terrible that the detective hadn't pushed harder. He just walked away. I'm going to go ahead and guess that he feels terrible now yep. that he didn't push harder and that he walked away.
0: But how could he like, how could he have known? Like, I feel like the veil is weird though. Yeah. Like
1: that up until that point, I feel like it's like, that's understandable. Yeah. But like you're in Salt Lake City where like, this is the only thing anyone, and this that's is terrible. True. I'm not a police officer. Like, I don't know what it yeah. takes, but I, that's just Yeah. so, so close. So, in September 2002, um, Elizabeth Captors take her from Salt Lake City to San Diego County, (gasps) which I don't know how they got there, but they go all the way to San Diego County, where they set up camp in a dry creek bed in Lakeside. No. It's even, like, there were articles I read about how he broke into a church, the her kidnapper, and, like, th- like stole some stuff and actually, like, spent a few days in jail in San Diego County. But, like, obviously, nobody knows that this is the guy who kidnapped yeah. Elizabeth Smart. But just, like, the irony that he was in yeah. jail there. Bananas. Um, and, like,
0: what did Elizabeth and his wife do?
1: I think they just hung out at the camp. I don't know. Yikes. Um, so in October of 2002, nearly five months after Elizabeth's abduction, and you got to be thinking that like five months after this girl, like I remember even at 11 being like, she's for sure dead. yeah, Like she's not coming home. Um, her younger sister, Mary Catherine places the voice that she heard that night, (sighs) which it's crazy. Like, even when you like look at, um, research about eyewitness testimony yeah. is deeply unreliable yeah. because our brains are not nearly as reliable. Yeah. Our memories are not nearly as reliable yeah. as we think they are. That Absolutely. the chances of like placing a voice from a traumatic incident yeah. five months ago feels like, like a, a long shot. So she tells her parents that it sounded like an unemployed man. The family had hired for day labor like months ago who had introduced himself to them as Emmanuel. So she's like, okay. that's, that is who that man sounded like. So initially police were skeptical of this possible identification. I get that yeah. um, because of how long it had been since she'd heard the voice and how short of a time, like Emmanuel had only worked for the smarts for like a day. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, this guy every Pl- f- Tuesday, like, like gardening yeah. for us. Plus like how much interaction did she really have with him? Right. Right. But the family hired a sketch artist to draw a sketch of this man's face because, like, everyone in the family had seen him, right? So they hire a sketch artist. He does a sketch, and they release it to the media. Like, Larry King Live, like, put this America's Most Wanted, put this sketch out. Um, And family members of a man named Brian David Mitchell recognized the sketch as him and, like, contacted the police and said, we're pretty sure... It is our family member that you're looking for.
0: I love it when families are like, "Oh uh, yeah, no, it's him." Yeah, this is for sure They're him, not- and like
1: here, let us give you the most recent yeah. photograph that we have. So, so then, so now there's a now there's a photograph that's on the news, right? So, in, you have to think, and it makes it sound like if the Smarts hadn't hired the sketch artist, like maybe that, yeah, like maybe the police wouldn't have done that and I'm not sure I would have blamed them Yeah, but it also doesn't sound like they had that many other leads so like anyway so March of 2003 nine months nine months after Elizabeth's abduction two two women in Sandy Utah a town in Utah spot a man who looks like the photos of Brian David Mitchell that had been on the news and he was accompanied he was like walking around Sandy Utah with two women And so they call the police and they're like, we see this guy who looks like the photos that are on the news. So they are approached by police. And as they're being questioned, one of the, like one of the police officers is like, that is Elizabeth smart. (gasps) And she is rescued that day in Sandy, Utah. And Mitchell is arrested with his female companion, Wanda Elaine Barzi. And they are immediately charged with aggravated kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated burglary. That was, so like 2003, that was many moons ago. His trial took forever because like his mental fitness, like he's like clearly cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And so like it took forever for him to be sentenced, but he is like serving life, um, I believe, in a Utah prison. Um, Wanda Elaine Barzi actually uh, because it's been what, like 16 years, mm-hmm. um, was only sentenced to 15 years and was recently released from no. prison. Even though like Elizabeth smart fought it horde. Yeah. Um, as like she should have, but the main that, that is terrible. But the main thing about this is that like she survived, yeah. um, Elizabeth after reuniting with her family eventually returned to high school um, and I remember reading an, wow. uh, like a, a story about her like after she started going back to high school and her like calling her mom one day and being like I need to go to the mall all oh, my clothes I are not in style anymore because <laughs> like she'd been out of society yeah. for so long um, and she eventually went to Brigham Young University to study music. Nice. She has spent much of her adult life as an activist on behalf of survivors of kidnapping and sexual violence. She co-authored the U.S. Department of Justice's Justices, 2008 handbook for kidnapping survivors, which is called You Are Not Alone, The Journey from Abduction to Empowerment. She also launched the Elizabeth Smart Foundation in 2011, which aims to empower children and provide resources and trauma for victims and families. She's married and she has two children. um, And that is a story of their survival of Elizabeth Smart.
0: I love a good survival story.
1: That, like, it's, it's, that's crazy town. Yeah. Like, the fact that she lived. Yeah. Like, I remember coming home and, like, them being, like, they found her. I mean, yeah. that never happens.
0: And the whole situation sounds fake, you know, like if, if I was like going to make up a story, it would be some crazy guy who's nuts. Right. Cause it's like
1: kidnapping. And I think this is why I was so scared because that like being taken from your room in the middle of the night thing is actually super, super rare.
0: So rare.
1: It's usually like abductions are either runaways or it's like, like um, custody battles or it's like someone, you know, where this, like a stranger abduction from your home is actually like almost never happens, but like it did. And then she lived to tell about it. um, Nine months with these people. Yeah. Elizabeth smart. That's nuts.
0: Well, do you have a, (laughs) do you have a detox question? (laughs)
1: Oh, am I doing the detox question? Oh, I don't know. I That's forgot fine. I'm happy who was supposed to, to do I'm it. I'm happy to do the detox right, question. go for it. Woo! Gotta shake off all of that trauma and how terrifying it is to take up space as a woman in the world. Yep. Um, so Emily, as we're coming to the end of these drinks, um, I have to ask you, I've been dying to ask you really, <laughs> what scene in a movie always gives you goosebumps.
0: I saw that question. Damn it! And <laughs> I... You
1: and I both Googled <laughs> icebreaker <Yep>.
0: questions. <laughs> hmm. And I skipped it because I was like, I don't want to answer that one. I don't know. It'll take me oh, too d- long. I have to answer this too, don't yeah. I? Ooh. I mean, the first movie I ever cried in was Bridge to Terabithia. That is a tearjerker. And my brother and I were watching it alone. I don't know where my parents were, but yeah. we were like, let's watch Bridge to Terabithia. And I started crying at the end yeah. and Adam was like, my brother was like, are you crying? I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, emotional.
1: There are probably some goosebumps in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. I hadn't thought about this for mine. Hmm. Honestly, probably. I mean, if we're going to go like first movie that gave you goosebumps, which wasn't the question, it was just a movie yeah. that gives you goosebumps, but Excuse me, I'm so burpy from this drink. Um, I feel like because I grew up going to private school, like private Christian school, everyone really latched onto the PG movie Remember the Titans, which is an excellent film, but it was like that was the movie that was always like brought out because it was clean and had like this good message. And so like every holiday party ever for like youth group or school was you watch Remember the Titans. And probably that scene um, where he like, Wakes him up in the middle of the night to go like run that hill mm-hmm. or whatever, and like he's like, uh, or no, or like he runs him out into the woods before the scene in the rain, and he's d- they're at like the Gettysburg mm-hmm. like burial site, and he's like brothers who killed each other, and you could either yeah. do this or da da da, and I was probably like, I understand racism, which I did not and no. do not, um, but yeah, probably remember the Titans,
0: yeah. That movie and radio were the yeah. two oh, yes. that we'd watch in P.E. on days that it rained.
1: <laughs> and, oh my Did you goodness. go to public school? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> that is rich. Rich, rich, rich. Wow.
0: Well, All right. Look at us. That's been a, uh, this has been lightweight true crime. Cheers. Cheers.